You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them acceptable. You're listening to Tech Tank, where we take complex technology issues and splice them into more palatable bites. On today's episode, airing on the anniversary date of September 11th, the U.S. is still mindful of any national security transgressions. While the threats of any type of similar attack have been reduced, new invasive and explicit attacks have occurred over the years. This time, They're impacting our nation's cyber infrastructure. I don't want to date myself because I just did have a birthday. But in the 1970s, that's when the concept of cyber protection sort of started out with the founding of the Advanced Research Projects Agency Network, or ARPANET. And as a result of this targeted focus on filling the gaps to protect national cybersecurity infrastructure, we have been much more effective in protecting our personal information, including our social security numbers, addresses, and other types of data. I don't know about many of you, but it hurts when you have those identity challenges. And we've made significant progress in enhancing our cybersecurity measures to defend against domestic and international threats, including malware, and today, more prominently, ransomware attacks. But new threats get added daily, my friends and ones that can potentially shut down other critical infrastructure like water and electrical systems. The U.S. not only has to be ready in the present tense, but it has to prepare for the future as computers and the internet saturate everyday experiences. Today, I'm so excited because we actually get to speak to the person who's responsible for making our cybersecurity infrastructure resilient and safe. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, is actively preparing for a significant overhaul of the cybersecurity framework as it unveils the public draft of its 2.0 version. Since its inception in 2014, this framework has been pivotal in assisting organizations worldwide in managing and mitigating online risk. As the threat landscape evolves, as I just shared, they're diligently committed, that is NIST, to ensuring the relevance and effectiveness of our cybersecurity framework for the future. In fact, they're still accepting feedback on this version 2.0, which hopefully my guests will talk more about. And today, I'm joined by Sherilyn Pasco, who is the director of NIST National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence that is charged with the evolving framework And we hope to touch upon in this episode the goals and objectives, the audiences, the outcomes, and just how important it is to have a resilient framework to combat national security concerns on this day of remembrance. Hi, Sherilyn. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Nicole. Thanks so much for inviting me to participate. It's a pleasure to be here and, and to discuss this important topic with you. Well, I I certainly agree, and I know those that are listening to us agree as well, that this is a topic that, you know, really has evolved over the last few years, if not decades. Let's start by getting an overview of the cybersecurity framework that I just referenced, just in general, before we go into version 2.0, and why 
you know, cybersecurity has to be on the radar of people when we begin to talk about our domestic and international security. Yeah, of course. And and as you mentioned in in your overview, cybersecurity risks are really a fundamental risk for all organizations. You know, there are people that want to do us harm, as we saw in 9-11, and cyber attacks, you know, they threaten our nation, our national, our economic security. They also threaten you know, individuals' privacy, our access to essential services and critical infrastructure. And so it's really this impact on the American people that drives us at NIST, you know, to continue our work to reduce these risks and help organizations reduce these risks. Um, NIST has been in the cybersecurity space for more than 50 years now. We develop um, standards, guidelines, tools to help organizations reduce cybersecurity risks. And the NIST cybersecurity framework um, is one of those kind of many um, tools that we publish at NIST. Um, but over the nine years since it was first published, um, it's really been amazing to watch it become a foundational and essential tool um, that can be used by all organizations around the world um, to address this challenge. Um, and given the number of cybersecurity threats that you know, organizations face today, having a framework, you know, to be able to um, structure their, their approach to the risks, to be able to organize the strategy to really tackle these risks holistically has been really helpful for many organizations. So we're really pleased with the, the use of the framework and, and how it's, um, you know, helped organizations um, tackle this this really difficult threat. And I love the way that, you know, you've spoken about some of these use cases where there are vulnerabilities that people often don't think about, right? I mean, what was it in 2017 when people had uh, some of the credit bureaus basically breach their personal data? You know, I, I think that was an eye opener in terms of the type of vulnerability that we had on our uh, online infrastructure. But just for the people who are less familiar, Charlene, do you mind just talking about like, which organizations um, are we speaking to? Because I think that's an important point that we're not talking about big government, right? Or we're not necessarily talking about big companies, but we're talking about everybody. It's absolutely everybody. And, you know, NIST's role in cybersecurity started with a focus on government systems 50 years ago. Um, but we've since evolved and realized, you know, it's not just about securing federal agencies who you know, obviously control a lot of data, have access to sensitive information, but every organization, every company, um, you know, has a responsibility to um, enhance their cybersecurity, um, nonprofits, um, academia, schools, um, state and local governments. Um, it's really become um, something where no organization is immune to the cybersecurity risks facing our nation. And it's something that at NIST, we view as something that, you know, doesn't just impact organizations, but it also impacts, you know, individuals, customers, um, as well as the nation, you know, as a whole. Yes, I so agree because, you know, this is an all-encompassing problem, right? And, you know, 
smaller mom and pop shops and others, you know, they all have to be part of the plan going forward to protect our virtual borders, you know, per se. Question for you on the NIST Cybersecurity Framework 2.0. Many have described this as a significant update to the previous version. Uh, Charlotte, walk us through some of the key changes and improvements that have been made um, and, and, you know, what you expect as this uh, document actually evolves. Yeah, of course. So this is going to be um, uh, a lengthy. I'll try not to keep. I'll try to keep it short. Um, oh no, it's no problem. <laughs> we, can, we can we can delve into some more specifics later. But just you know, to start um, at a high level, you know, last year we um, made a decision to update the framework, um, and have been really working very closely with the community in the past. Um, year and a half on the update. So the decision to really update the framework was based off of feedback from the community. And we ran a formal um, request for information asking the community whether it was time to update the framework. Um, and if so, you know, if we're going to do an update, what would folks like to see changed? Um, we heard back that organizations find the current version of the framework, CSF 1.1, to be a very effective tool. Um, but of course, it had been um, five years since the last update. The last update was a minor update. Um, and since then, there's been um, significant involvement within the cybersecurity landscape. We've seen changes and threats, um, changes in the technology landscape, um, as well as changes in the standards landscape. Um, when you look at um, when the cybersecurity framework was first published almost a decade ago, we didn't have um, some of the standards at NIST like we have today, like the NIST privacy framework, the recently published NIST um, AI risk management framework, the uh, secure software development framework. Um, there's been a lot of movement in the cybersecurity field to really tackle um, a lot of these evolving issues. Um, and so we wanted to reflect a lot of that back into the new version of the framework. And so we really decided this was time for a significant update to move to, you know, CSF version 2.0 as opposed to, say, uh, CSF 1.2. Let's take a look at um, how we can um, update the framework to reflect, you know, these changes in technologies, the changes in standards, um, um, as well as um, make it a framework that is easier for all organizations to put into practice. Um, so you talked a lot about, you know, who is this for? It is now um, a framework that we're really trying to build um, for all organizations, regardless of sector, size, location, um, and it is an international framework, um, and really want to make sure that um, regardless of the cybersecurity risks that they face, it's something that's still helpful um, to all organizations to, to reduce their risks. And I like that uh, movement and that expansion, right, to all organizations. And and I know that there's probably someone who's a very small business that's probably saying, you know, this is not going to affect me. I do, you know, minimal scale when it comes to business services. Just, again, just highlight why we need a framework that is for all businesses in this ecosystem. 
Yeah, cybersecurity is really challenging. It's it's very challenging for smaller organizations um, that have less resources. They may not necessarily have you know a dedicated cybersecurity person. Um, or even really anybody with any right, right. on their staff. But it's also really challenging for large organizations. Um, large organizations have a lot of complexity in terms of different business units, number of employees, different types of technologies. Um, so it's definitely a challenge for, for everyone. Um, and the framework was originally directed... Um, for NIST to, to develop the cybersecurity framework, it was directed by executive order um, as well as congressional mandate. So we have a dual mandate um, to develop this framework. Um, and the original mandate was focused on securing critical infrastructure. Um, over the years, it has certainly proved useful for many organizations. Um, we've also received additional direction from Congress to focus on um, more specifically on risks to um, academia, you know, um, research security risks to um, higher education, um, focus more on um, the concerns facing small businesses. And we didn't want organizations to have to make a determination that they are designated as critical infrastructure. That's a definition that can vary depending on who you talk to. We really just want it to be something that is used by organizations because they find it to be useful. Um, so we are making some changes, um, such as, for example, changing the name of the framework. The framework will now be referred to as the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. It's in formal name. Um, we're removing the title, um, you know, improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity. We're also taking a look at the text and making sure that it reflects um, and is kind of neutral to the type of organization um, that may use the framework to really just um, reflect its current broad use um, by lots of different organizations and the different types of risks that they may face. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's you know going to be helpful to the whole um, community of actors within the internet because, you know, as you said, I think cybersecurity has been you know, more so like an expectation of large companies, but there's always ways to infiltrate these systems. So I really appreciate like when I read it, like what NIST is trying to do here, because it's recognizing that we are just truly a digital economy. And that means that even companies who were never classified, right, as technology companies, they are, right? Because they're doing some shape or form or format that involves new technology. So thanks for that. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people with the kudos to NIST for recognizing that change. You know, you you also introduce in the framework a governed function, which is a new development. Explain the rationale behind introducing that function and why it's important in the context of cybersecurity as well. So I am I'm really excited about the governed function. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love you being excited, Charlotte, about um, cyber. I love it. <laughs> it is probably, I mean. I love all the pieces of the framework, but it is really one of probably my favorite part of the new draft. And um, I will have to say it was actually a really hard decision for NIST, um, but it is one that we've received a lot of applause for. Um, for anyone that knows you know, the framework, we have the current five functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. These five functions have become known 
you know, really as the definition for cybersecurity around the world. They appear in global standards and government policies and trade agreements. And so it's a really big deal to change a function um, at that level. And yet, you know, I believed really strongly that govern is necessary to really stress that cybersecurity is no longer, you know, just a technical issue. It is a business issue. It is an issue where um, the cybersecurity strategy needs to be driven by the highest levels of an organization, you know, by the CEO, by the board of directors, by folks that really largely don't have an understanding or a technical understanding of cybersecurity, but they do understand its potential impact on the organization as well as their, their customers. Um, it also kind of reflects you know, the importance of stakeholder considerations with respect to cybersecurity risks. So organizations shouldn't just be thinking about um, the risk appetites of their senior leadership, but, you know, there's a lot more considerations with respect to um, um, the appetites of their customers, of their regulators and other government agencies, and of the nation as a whole. And so the CSF is always focused on you know, these making sure you tailor cybersecurity risks to um, the particular mission um, and use case that that you're hoping to, to solve. But this addition of the govern function really cements this. It makes it a priority um, and it ensures that organizations will also track and measure their kind of governance related efforts in this area. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I would be excited about that, too, because I think, it, you know, over the years, dealing with vulnerabilities in our cyber infrastructure have often been reactive. Right. And I think what NIST has really tried to do is to give us some context for how it's evolving, you know, technologically, but also, you know, how the governance and practices and protocols are also evolving. So I, I, I'm as excited as you are, Sherilyn, for that function and looking forward to seeing more uh, people's reaction to it. You know, we've talked primarily so far about the U.S. What about the global reaction? Um, I understand that it's been downloaded more than 2 million times across 185 countries. How is that global feedback and usage influencing um, our national security framework when it comes to cyber? Yeah, it's a huge deal. So we actually have somebody on our team, um, Amy Mon, who's dedicated to international engagement um, for NIST cybersecurity resources, especially the framework. Um, and we've been lucky to have a really good relationship with the State Department and ITA within the Department of Commerce on increasing awareness of the framework around the world. Um, so we've got a lot of great advocates as well, you know, in the global companies that are um, based in the U.S. that are also using the framework. Um, and they um, help carry the message of, you know, international harmonization and use of the framework around the world. Um, what I'll add another statistic just because it is so um, terrific, but our first workshop um, on the CSF update was attended by 4,000 people um, across 100 countries. Wow. That means wow. that we had people that were wow. listening to the workshop basically in their pajamas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the middle of the night, um, listening and really uh, involved in the conversation about how we can make the framework better. Um, 
We've had a lot of um, foreign government involvement in the framework as well. So some countries have even adopted the framework for their own use. Um, some countries have even adopted the framework on a mandatory basis in regulations. So you know, Italy, Poland, for example, have required the use of the framework for critical infrastructure um, in response to the NIS directive in the European Union. Um, so we're working very closely with other governments around the world that are currently using the framework where they have the framework reflected in their own government policies. We want to make sure we don't lose any of them um, as we move forward with this update. Um, But it's also a really great opportunity to talk about how we can grow the use of the framework um, with other countries. And the platform that we have with this update in terms of having workshops and events and public comments, it's a really great way to informally have discussions with other Um, foreign governments about how to really enhance our our collective cybersecurity. And when you talk about public comment, I understand it's open until November 4th of this year. Um, You've already spoken about the importance of gathering that feedback. How will that type of input sort of shape the final version of the framework? What are you thinking when when the process sort of evolves and is, is getting near the end? Yeah, of course. So at NIST, we, um, we have a very transparent, stakeholder-driven process for developing our resources. And it's, it's the one thing that we do like to brag about. Um, NIST is known for, for being pretty humble in terms of, of talking about our resources, but um, our stakeholder process is really tremendous. And, and we believe that including stakeholders in the development of our resources has resulted in a lot of trust um, in our resources. It also results in a level of buy-in. So there's a sweat equity component here where that if folks are involved in the process, they're much more likely to use it. And this is a non-regulatory agency. So a lot of our resources are voluntary. Organizations use them because they find them to be helpful. Um, And so this um, draft that we just released of the, the full NIST cybersecurity framework um, is actually our fourth public comment period in this process. Um, that means it's also the last draft that we will issue before we go final, and it's the last opportunity for folks to weigh in on the update. Um, we very rarely update the framework. Um, so this this kind of final CSF 2.0 um, to be published in early 2024 will stand for a long time. And so really encourage folks now, and, and thanks for the opportunity to talk today, to really encourage folks to participate in the process, provide comments um, on this latest draft, and, and let us know how we can improve it. And that's great for everybody listening. You've heard it first um, or second or maybe third, right, here on the podcast that we need your input to make this uh, framework 2.0 even more uh, effective going forward. You know, I want to shift this conversation for just a moment, right, because it's not unusual to see in the public domain this increase in these uh, supply chain risks, Sherilyn, right? 
And a lot of these ransomware threats that have been hitting, you know, universities. I think uh, most recently I saw one that hit Howard University for several days uh, when it came to vulnerabilities and their technical architecture. Um, how do you see these things, you know, evolving? Is it going to get better or is it going to get worse before it gets better? And and are you seeing the uh, 2.0 framework helping to at least either raise awareness about uh, people understanding these types of attacks or managing them better? Because it is a lot, you know, when we're seeing on TV, major hospitals, universities, small businesses that are, you know, under the stewardship of our personal data and information and other information, you know, being um, victims of, of ransomware or, you know, malware attacks. Yeah, it, it does seem like the cybersecurity risks are constantly evolving. Um, and it's, it is becoming difficult for organizations to keep pace with it all. Um, a common theme that I mentioned earlier is the importance of making sure this new framework can stand the test of time, right? We very rarely updated it because it is something that is so widely used. Um, the transition period alone for a change to the framework will be significant on all organizations. So we need a balance there to make sure that the framework can, you know, be relevant going forward for several years um, while continuing to address, you know, emerging issues that, that we want to address with CSF 2.0. And we heard in the, in the comments from the community that things like supply chain cybersecurity is so critical now, small business cybersecurity and making sure they have the resources they need to address their concerns, um, as well as you know, even emerging technology issues like um, the movement towards cloud and making sure we have the ability to secure cloud computing, uh, the movement towards zero trust architecture principles, uh, artificial intelligence. You know, these are all emerging issues That's that we right. want to make sure that we're tackling with this new version of the framework. Um, and so one of the ways that we're going to do this is... is um, we will keep the main part of the framework stable, but we're gonna add a new column um, focused on what we're calling implementation examples. And these will be more action-oriented examples to meet the higher level categories and subcategories of the framework. This column will actually live separately from the framework because we want it to live online um, and be a resource that we're able to update much more quickly um, to respond to, you know, changes and different threats and different technologies. So that's one way we're, we're looking to um, help address this issue. The other is um, thinking about additional guidance that we need to develop um, to help organizations actually implement the new framework. So I am um, in a new role as the director of the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, the NCCOE. Um, the center um, is a collaborative hub that works with industry, academia, governments to solve cybersecurity challenges. And so we take some of the technology neutral standards coming out of NIST, coming out of um, international standards bodies, and we develop 
very specific guidance for specific sectors, use cases, technologies. And so as we're beginning to finalize the main CSF 2.0, we also need to start thinking about how to transition um, um, the additional guidance that we want to develop to really help organizations turn what is on paper in the framework into, into practice to really make it real. And that makes sense, you know, because I think I've read, you know, there'll be these profiles. I love the fact that you're talking about having some of this live online. So we're not waiting, you know, for a full update, but the idea of just examples would be helpful. You know, part of, I'm sure you're dealing with in your role is that because this is one of those like, um, you know, small business to large business, it's, it's like a continuum, you know what I mean? That some companies, as you've mentioned, don't have the professional resource within their environment, but at the same token, they know this is happening to them, right? And so again, going back to the example of Howard, I do remember the president of the university coming back and saying, we've got this under control, we're working through this. And I think the framework is actually going to be really helpful for a range of organizations to sort of have as a reference tool to to go to to figure out how to manage their risks more effectively. I mean, when you think about the work that you're doing, you know, first and foremost, what's the timeline? Like, how soon can we get this in the public domain um, after we get public comments? Let me start there. (laughs) Make it more real for people, right, Shirley? (laughs) So this is... um... Our goal is to publish um, the final version of Framework 2.0 in early 2024, likely the February timeframe. So that's very soon. Um, We've already, though, heard from some organizations that they are beginning to take a look at the draft framework and see how they can begin to use that. Um, And really... So some organizations have already started this kind of transition process of thinking about how to incorporate the new version of the framework into their business processes um, as soon as, you know, the framework is published. So we're really excited that folks are are kind of eagerly (laughs) waiting for the new um, the new version of the framework and are really ready to adopt it as soon as it's published. That is great. And I think that also suggests an appetite for it, you know, going forward. You know, and, and, and another thing I'm thinking about as well, you know, do you see this as a process that's going to just continue? Like we talk about it as 2.0, but really, Charlene, are we going to get to like 3.0, 5.5? Is this just going to be something as part of your new role as a director that we just have to have an evolving conversation that we can't keep waiting with long periods of time in between to get this type of work done. I mean, again, in this remembrance of 9-11, I think we changed a lot and we grew a lot as a country, but it seems to me we need to be doing the same type of efforts when it comes to our cybersecurity infrastructure. Yeah, things are definitely evolving much more quickly. And it has been great to see the cybersecurity framework endure for the last decade. Um, It's actually really a testament, I think, to its success. Um, And we really are hoping to position this next version of the framework as something that can endure, you know, for the next decade. Um, And as we think about how to make sure that is a reality, you know, we're really starting to think about 
how can we keep the guidance that sits around the framework relevant to tackle these emerging challenges? And, and the work of the NCCOE and the work of the center is really looking at how we can work with, um, with the community to address you know, specific technology issues, specific use cases. Um, and so I'll point out one of the changes that you know, we're making with the new version of the framework that we have not yet discussed yet um, is this addition of a new category called um, continuous improvement. So an organization's cybersecurity strategy and their actions really need to evolve as the threat changes, as technologies change. Implementing the framework is not a kind of one and done process. Um, it is something that really needs to continually evolve as risks change. So we're looking forward to continuing to work with the community to make sure that organizations have the tools that they need to, to not just address, but also reduce um, their cybersecurity risks. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm sort of drawn to your earlier comment where you were sort of laying on the various new risk and emerging risk, like artificial intelligence, which, um, you know, how do I put this, can be used to do a variety of things, whether it's efficiency um, uh, activities or it's making eligibility determinations. But it also appears to me it could also be used to sort of trick our cybersecurity infrastructure, you know, down the line as these actors become so much more um, sophisticated. Um, does that keep you up at night, Sherilyn, as you think about the evolution of our cybersecurity framework in the U.S.? So there's there's a lot of things that keep me up at night. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was being presumptuous sort of going <laughs> in and figuring out what what is keeping you up, but I was assuming this might be one of them. <laughs> it, is, it is one of them, but I'm also really confident that you know, we we do have the tools right now to address cybersecurity risks. There really is no shortage of cybersecurity best practices, standards, tools, um, all of these will need to constantly evolve um, as, you know, technologies like AI change and, and organizations need to make sure that they stay on, on top of things um, as things evolve with them. And so I'm, I'm actually really confident in the work that, that NIST is doing to help um, address these evolving issues. And so um, I'm confident in in the abilities of my team um, to to be able to keep pace of them with with these kind of evolving threats, and I'm also I know that at least within the communities that we work with, organizations do take this very seriously, um, and it is something that um, I think makes me feel a little bit better that um, there is a, a community out there that that really wants to work together to address cybersecurity risks because it is just so important. I completely agree. And I'm glad that um, it is one of the things that keeps you up at night because artificial intelligence is one of the areas that we focus a lot on at the Center for Technology Innovation and at Brookings more generally. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Sharlyn, thank you. I, I don't even know what to say. I've learned so much even listening to you today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I always enjoy the opportunity to talk about 
the cybersecurity framework and, and how we can improve the cybersecurity for our nation. So thanks. Now, where, where can people find this? Just make sure we have an exact link for those of you who are listening and saying to yourself, I want to know where to find this. I can want to look into this myself a little bit more. You might be a business owner and you want to know what is out there and where you can actually give some comment. Can you direct us to a place? Yes, it is. Um, the website for the cybersecurity framework is nist.gov slash cyberframework. Perfect. Everybody got that? Write it down. Take a look at it. Bring your voice to the public comment, period. Listen, as we close up this podcast, you know, September 11th is a notable time in our nation's history. It's one that I personally will not forget as I was in New York at that time. And being a person who was born in Queens, New York, I could not believe it was happening to our dear city. We've made a lot of adjustments to protect the peace of the folks that actually live and and flourish in these United States of America. But new actors don't necessarily need physical boundaries anymore. They can use virtual spaces to conduct, you know, just as egregious attacks as they did on that fretful day. Friends, let's pay attention to this because as the saying goes, never forget we can never forget that there are many entryways and entry points to violate the personal peace and space and and property of people here and abroad. So thank you again, Sherilyn, for listening. Thank you all for tuning into this episode on this day. Once again, I want to remind you, this is the Tech Tank Podcast. We take bits and we turn them into palatable bites uh, on very complicated and sophisticated technology issues. Please be sure to tap into the Tech Tank newsletter for the writings on this issue as well as others. And we will see you, hear you, have you listened to our next episode. I'm Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee from the Center for Technology Innovation. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.